0: The Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in the province of Galatia just shortly after he had been with them. He wrote these words, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Those are strong words, aren't they? But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Well, is this really the real gospel? These things that you just listened to are not rare instances of what people say. It's the heart and the soul of the gospel that is preached by these men and women. And what they preach is preached on every continent in this world. They have hundreds of millions of followers who believe what they preach. But are they preaching the real gospel of Jesus Christ? Today is the fourth Sunday of Pentecost. This is a season of gospel witness, and it is intended to remind us that we are here for a season to do the work that Jesus has called us to do. The night is coming when no one will work, it will be the end of time. Jesus said to his disciples, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I don't know who you watch. I don't know who you listen to. I don't know who you believe. I don't know whose teaching or what teaching you've allowed to influence your life and shape your view. Your worldview, your life direction. Everyone believes some gospel. But how do you and I identify the true gospel? We are in a series that we've entitled True Gospel and Real Disciples. And today we want to focus on identifying the true gospel. In our first study, I gave you a little gospel test, a few true and false statements. The first one was, the love of God is a key emphasis in the gospel. Most of us said yes, but actually the answer is no. For in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus does not emphasize anything about the love of God in relation to the good news of salvation. The second statement, the Acts of the Apostles is the story of the spread of the gospel. That is true. And most of us recognize that as a true statement. We also noted, however... That very interestingly, the apostles never proclaimed the love of God in relationship to the gospel. Isn't the gospel about the love of God? Well, we shall see as we continue in our series of studies. The good news is the message of God's love. Again, the majority of us said true. But Jesus only spoke one time to one man about God's love for all the world. And that was in John chapter 3, verse 16. Again, Jesus frequently spoke about God's love for everyone. No, only to Nicodemus. Because God loves me, he accepts me. Is that truly a scriptural statement? Does he accept me because he loves me? Many people believe so. And the majority of us responded that, yes, he accepts us because he loves us. But biblical truth gives us a different answer. The term accept Christ into your heart, is one that you and I have heard probably thousands of times, especially if we have spent any length of time in the church, in Christian fellowship. Is it an important statement in the gospel, in the Bible? The fact is that those words, accept Christ into your heart, never appear in that way. In Scripture. The last statement a disciple is one who believes in Christ. The majority of us said yes. But Jesus said a disciple is one who obeys my commands. A believer believes. James, rather, reminded us that even the devils believe and tremble. A disciple, however, proves his love for Jesus by his obedience. How do we identify the true gospel? Well, let's go to the very beginning. And we can't get at the beginning any more than to read the words of Mark as he begins the gospel that he has written with this sentence, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, this is a very concise statement, but it is packed with spiritual truth. I will give Mr. Olstein one credit to what he said. There is power in words. Words are not incidental, and especially any word in the Bible. All scripture is God-breathed, and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The Apostle Peter wrote that no prophet spoke of his own initiative. But they spoke as they were carried along by the Spirit of God. Again and again, we read the prophet saying, the word of the Lord came to me saying. Words in scripture are not incidental. And we might look at some sentences and they look unremarkable to us. And yet this is a case in which this beginning statement, it's like a thesis at the beginning of Mark's gospel. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let's look at that word beginning. It comes from the Greek word And You will recognize it in relation to the word archaic. Something of the past. But the word arche in the Greek language, the language in which the New Testament was written, means first in terms of origin or principle. So what is Mark saying? First in terms of origin or principle about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The word from which it comes means precedence or to commence. We recognize the word precedent, a precedent of law. When a judge issues a ruling, that becomes the basis of similar rulings in the future. When something commences, it's its beginning point. It originates, it starts from. It flows from. It can be traced back to. This is what Mark is presenting to us. In the revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 13 and verse 18, we read these words. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. This particular identity is how Jesus is known again and again throughout the revelation. We see him as the lamb standing before the throne who is worshipped by the 24 elders Worthy is the Lamb, for with your blood you have purchased men from every tribe and language and nation, and made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God forever. In the judgment and the wrath that is poured out, people on earth in the future, during that time of tribulation, will recognize that they are experiencing the wrath of the Lamb. And we are told prophetically in the Revelation that they will cry out for the mountains and the hills to fall upon them. And by the way, those prophetic words in Revelation were also spoken back in the Old Testament, looking toward the end of time as well. Before the throne of God, John saw a crowd that he could not number from every tribe and language and nation. And they worshiped him who sat on the throne and the lamb with these words. Salvation belongs to our God and unto the lamb who sits on the throne. John heard these words at the end of that chapter. That the lamb would be their shepherd for all of eternity. He would cover them with his shade. He would lead them to places of rest and places of renewal and refreshment. We read these words that are spoken, depicting a time in the future when wickedness will so increase and the rejection of God will be so complete that all the inhabitants. Of the earth will worship the beast, the one who is the incarnation of deception and evil, the one known in scripture as the personification of all things that are anti Christ, and thus he is known as the Antichrist. And we are told that. Everyone whose name has not already been written in the Lamb's book of life. What does that tell us? It tells us that life and future and destiny can be traced back to the Lamb. Is determined by the Lamb, his book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation... Of the world. Genesis, Hosea, and Mark all begin in a very unique way. In their original languages, they begin with a singular word beginning. In our English translation, to make the sentence complete, we read in the beginning for Genesis chapter 1, or here in Mark's gospel, the beginning. But there's no article of speech in the original languages, simply that word beginning. The gospel about Jesus Christ. If we go back to Genesis, what was in the beginning? Genesis tells us that there was nothing. The earth was void and without form, and yet we are told here in Revelation that the Lamb was slain from the creation of the world. That even before there was the existence of heaven and earth, the source of salvation, The work of Jesus Christ had already been established. He had been established as the Lamb, the one whose blood would purchase people from every tribe and language and nation and make them acceptable to God. He is the beginning, the beginning of the gospel. Within this sentence, we also have the focus of the gospel. This word gospel comes from the Greek word angelion, which means good news. Now, angelion was a common word used in both the Greek translation of the Old Testament and in Greek literature. And it was commonly used in reference to reports of victory from the battlefield. Those back home, those in government, those whose loved ones were in battle, those whose future was hanging in the balance, they were waiting for news. Would it be good news? Would it be bad news? Well, Angelion was good news. There had been victory. In the Greco-Roman context, the time, the literature, the activities of the Greek world, the Roman world, those empires, Eugendion always appears in its plural form you don't find it in its singular form. It's always used in its plural form, indicating one report among other reports. However, in the New Testament, Evangelion only appears in its singular form. Remember, all scripture is inspired by God. And every writer in Scripture was moved by the Holy Spirit. And thus, Eugelian never appears in a plural form, only in its singular, because Jesus is the good news. He is not one among others. It is singular. He alone is the good news. Remember that he said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's look again at this statement that Mark has made. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This concise sentence identifies two key aspects of the gospel. First of all, as we have just emphasized, that Jesus is the subject and the content of the gospel. He is the good news. And the good news is Jesus. But secondly, we are also told that he is Jesus Christ or Jesus The Christ. Some of our Bibles will translate it, Jesus the Messiah. The Messiah was the promised one. The descendant of David who would have an everlasting, eternal reign. The myriad of promises, beginning with Eve and continuing through Malachi. Promises concerning a coming redeemer, ruler, victor, one who would bring peace, one who would bring blessing. As we have noted before in many studies, the word Christ means anointed one. And the name Messiah carries the same emphasis. Kings were anointed. High priests were anointed. It was a special set-apart office for carrying out the purposes of God. The ultimate anointed one would be Jesus, the Christ, the promised Messiah. But he is not only the anointed one, he's not only the promised one, Mark tells us that he is the son of God. That is a potent description. For when Jesus spoke of himself as the one who watched his father doing his work and doing what his father did, he was declaring himself to be the son of God. And John tells us in chapter 5, that when the Jews heard him said, say this, they picked up stones to kill him. Because he was making himself equal with God by calling God his father. This term, son of God, is utterly exclusive. It means that Jesus is eternally And fully divine in his nature. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. It means that Jesus is the fullness of deity. In bodily form. The incarnate God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have beheld him in his fullness full of glory and truth. And he is the exclusive representative of God and his eternal purposes. No one has seen God the Father at any time, except God the one and only who is closest to him. He has made him known. John chapter 1 and verse 18. Jesus would say over and over again, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. This is a primary emphasis as he is speaking with his disciples on the last night before his betrayal, trial, and death. I'm going back to the Father. They ask him, show us the Father. And Jesus said to them, have I been with you for so long, and yet you don't recognize who I am and what I've been showing to you. Showing you, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The words that I speak are not my own. I speak only what the Father tells me to say. No one could represent the Father. No one could represent God fully and completely except for Jesus Christ. Why? Because only he was fully divine. You and I cannot adequately represent God. We can't align ourselves in the way that these preachers were saying, in such an identity as they were proclaiming. No, that is a position that belongs exclusively to God and to Jesus Christ, his one and only Son. They share their fully divine, infinite nature. And only one who was fully divine could make God known here on earth. Which Jesus did as he was incarnated, took on human form while retaining his deity. For in Christ the fullness of deity dwells. In bodily form Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 what is the good news let's go back to the beginning the beginning of the life of Jesus back to his birth in Luke chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 we read that there were shepherds in the field and they were watching their flocks at night And suddenly the glory of God appeared in the sky. The shepherds were terrified by the blinding light and the presence of supernatural beings. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This was the first announcement of good news that took place. The first announcement of the gospel. Now we saw that the word euangelion means good news. It refers to the gospel. When that good news is proclaimed, the word that is used is Idzo. It means to address with good news, to proclaim. So when it is preached, when the good news about Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, is preached, it is this word that is used. And it is used specifically in regard to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what is this good news? Go with me back again to... Revelation, this time to chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. We read these words. Then I saw another angel flying in midair. And he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth. To every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Let's look at this verse closely. We see several things. One is that the gospel is eternal. Now, we've already seen that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation and the creation of the world. So from eternity past, Jesus is the gospel. But the good news about him has implications for the future and for eternity future. This is the eternal gospel. It does not become irrelevant. It is not superseded by something else. Within it is every truth that has every implication for the eternal destiny of all who live on earth. This gospel is applicable to every tribe, language, nation, and people. In the future, And at the time of judgment, everyone will be evaluated according to this gospel. And the angel cried out in a loud voice with these words, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come. The angel said, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. What is the good news? It is today a Savior has been born to you. This word Savior is sotar. It means a deliverer. It comes from a root word that means to save or deliver, to heal and make whole. The good news that the angel was proclaiming is that a Savior, one who could save, one who could deliver, one who could heal and make whole, had been born. And he was none other than the anticipated, promised Messiah, He was the Christ. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus was invited in the synagogue to read the scriptures and to speak to the people. And he opened the scroll of Isaiah to this passage. The spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. It is now some 30 years later since the angels had appeared to the shepherds with this announcement. And now Jesus stands in the synagogue and reads these prophetic words. Uttered some 600 years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. In which Jesus is declaring himself to be that savior. That anointed one. That one who will save, deliver, heal, and make whole. This statement also emphasizes to us that we have a need. We don't need a Savior if we don't have a need. And so the angel is announcing that for your need, there is a Savior. Remember that the angel announced to Joseph, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Jesus came for one purpose. He came to save sinners. He was the solution for our sin problem." The solution for our sin brokenness. The solution for our sin destiny. The day of judgment and the day of vengeance of the Lord. This is the gospel. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is the promised Savior. Remember once again that that word Christ means anointed. It's, it's equivalent in the Old Testament is Messiah, the promised one. Among the promises made concerning this coming Savior, where these words spoken by Isaiah, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is not just a good teacher, Jesus is the Savior. We have need of a Savior who can do what no one else can do, He is the exclusive Savior. Peter declared before the Sanhedrin when they were told to keep quiet and not speak anymore in the name of Jesus. He said, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We need a Savior. God promised a Savior who would address our sin condition." Jesus is that exclusive Savior. Now, if there is good news, is there bad news? If news is not either good or bad, what is it? It's just news. But Jesus is the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. So if there is good news, then there is also an alternative. There is bad news. Remember that word, euangelion. People were waiting for a report from the battlefield. Will it be good or bad? Will it be victory? Will it be defeat? So is there bad news? There is indeed bad news. It's interesting because the first recorded word in the preaching of Jesus is the word repent. Repent. Now that word repent is a strong word. It means that you are wrong. It means that you are so wrong that if you keep going in the direction that you are going, It will be disaster and it will be judgment. And Jesus proclaimed this message repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. When he spoke to his disciples just before he ascended back to the Father, he said to them, This gospel must be preached in all the world, for repentance. And for the forgiveness of sins. The gospel provides a savior. But it requires our repentance. In another interview, Mr. Olsteen was asked about Hindus. He said, well, I have spent a lot of time in India and I know that they love God. So who am I to judge? I believe that they'll be okay because they love God. Well, Hindus love about 400 million gods and goddesses, or at least they fear them. But the Bible tells us and the gospel declares that Jesus is the only way to God. But in order for us to experience the provision of the good news, you and I need to repent. The Apostle Peter, as he began his ministry on the day of Pentecost, began with the same word or responded with the same word as Jesus. When he began his ministry. It's that word repent. In our parlance. It would, we would say. Do a 180. Turn completely around. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The book of Judges. Ends with. These distressing words. And that day there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You and I live in such an era. When when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And are affirmed for doing so. And yet that is not the perspective of scripture. The way that we are going is wrong. The perspective that we have about Jesus Christ If it's not recognized that we are sinners who need a Savior, it is wrong. And it will not turn out good. Peter declared, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Notice that Peter has not said anything here about the love of God. But there is a warning that the only way to escape the judgment that is going to come because of sin, the judgment for rejecting the one and only provision that God has given for sin is to repent and turn in faith to Jesus Christ. The good news is that God has provided He has provided a means for our sins forgiven. A savior. And he has provided for us an opportunity to have our names written in the book of life. But there is bad news. The apostle John wrote, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Take note of this sentence. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The dead are judged by what they have done. But there is an ultimate and definitive destiny. And that is determined by whose name is in the book of life. How is one's name entered into the book of life? By repenting and believing in the name of Jesus. By turning from our sin and the way that we are going. Recognizing that without the one and only provision, that we have no hope of eternal life. Even as Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about the love that God has for the whole world, there was a warning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The promise is eternal life by believing in Jesus, by repenting and turning to him. But for those who do not believe, they perish. Emphasized later on in John chapter 3 is that truth, that the wrath of God remains On those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. What do those words tell us? That you and I are in a place of judgment already. If we have not believed in Jesus Christ. That our destiny is already headed towards an outcome of eternal death. And that the only way for that to change is for us to turn. To the one and only means of salvation. Jesus Christ. We are sinners. We aren't gods. We are sinners who need a savior. And the only savior. That God has provided. Is the one who was fully sufficient. Because he was Jesus the Christ. He was the word. Incarnate, he was the one who laid down his life for us. The good news is that when you and I repent, our name is entered into the book of life. When you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ and his atoning work, acknowledging that you and I are sinners and that there is no other means of salvation except through Jesus. When we fully trust him, our name is entered in the book of life. But at the end of time, when everyone stands in examination before God, those whose names are not found in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire forever. There is good news. And there is indeed bad news. How do you and I identify the gospel? Quite simply, by what you and I have studied today. It is the gospel if it exalts Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It is the gospel if it declares that we are sinners who need a Savior. It is the gospel if it proclaims that Jesus is the Son of God, fully divine and fully human, who came and laid down his life for us. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians and said, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The good news is that you and I can be fully reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He alone is sufficient. He alone is sufficient. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Our gracious father who so loved us that he gave his one and only son. To be the atoning payment for our sins. The satisfaction, the appeasement of the judgment of wrath. How we thank you today that we have heard the good news. Father, I pray that our trust would never waver from being fully committed and following Jesus as our Savior. Father, may we always recognize ourselves as sinners saved by grace. May we always heed the words of the Apostle Paul as he continued to the Colossians. You are justified, you are made holy, you are blameless. If you continue not moved from the hope held out by the gospel. Father, I pray that your people will not embrace another gospel. I pray that they will not listen to another or a different proclamation of the gospel. A voice, no matter how persuasive, that says anything different from what your word has said to us today. And Father, in this time of increasing deception, when many are being led astray, I pray that your people would have the ability, the understanding, the discernment, to identify the true gospel and not be moved From what they first believed. Father thank you for this good news. We no longer have to fear. The bad news. But we. Like the Thessalonians. We have turned from idols. To serve the living God. And we are waiting in hope. For Jesus. Who is coming. To rescue us. From the coming wrath we thank you for this good news. We thank you for this hope. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.